This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. As we are based here in the UK, all times are in BST. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 10th to the 16th of April. I'm Ezzie Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm here to take you through this week's stargazing highlights. And actually, we start this week with a carry-on from last week's episode. If you go back and listen to that, you'll remember that we were talking about Venus, the planet Venus, passing by the Pleiades, which is an open cluster um, that looks a little bit like a miniature version of the plough, but it's surrounded by this beautiful nebulosity. On the 10th of April, Venus is going to be making its closest approach to the Pleiades, when it's only going to be 2.7 degrees away. It'll remain fairly close on the 11th of April as well, so if you don't manage to get to see it on the 10th or the weather isn't that great, there is a second opportunity to see it on the 11th. From then on, it will continue moving out across the night sky, away from the Pleiades and towards a different cluster, the Hyades. So the Hyades is a V-shaped cluster. It's not quite as spectacular as the Pleiades. It's not got as many members to it, um, but it is still quite an interesting thing to be able to see. 
There's also a bright star that appears in Ninta B in the higher Ds, uh, and that is Aldebaran, uh, which is a plus 0.9 magnitude star, so a fairly bright star. But this isn't actually associated with the higher Ds. So when you get an open cluster like these, these are all stars that are gravitationally bound together, usually because they were formed in the same stellar nursery and they haven't quite moved away from each other yet. But Aldebaran is 150 light years away from this cluster. That's a very long way. It's not actually gravitationally associated with them at all. Um, It just happens to be along the same line of sight. And on the 13th of April, uh, the planet Venus is going to be between the Pleiades and the Hyades open clusters right there in the middle. It will remain in the vicinity of the Pleiades until the 14th of April, at which point it will start really moving across onto other targets on the night sky. But Venus is very bright at the moment. It is still a minus four magnitude planet, so it is still going to be the brightest thing on the sky after the moon. So keep an eye out for that on the 10th and the 11th of April, and then keep an eye on it right the way through to the 14th as well. Then on the 10th of April, we have an occultation. An occultation occurs when a foreground object, in this case the moon, appears to pass in front of a more distant background object, which is going to be the star Alniat, otherwise known as Sigma Scorpii. Alniat is a plus 2.9 magnitude star, so naked eye visible, but definitely not one of the brightest in the sky. And in fact, not one of the brightest in Scorpius even. But what you should see if you look towards the moon on the 10th of April at around about 3.30 in the morning, so this is going to be an early one if you want to catch this occultation, is you should see that the moon and this star are very close together. They'll be about 11 degrees from the southern horizon is where you want to be looking for this pair. And at around about 3.30, um, where we are, it's exactly 3.33 BST, the star will disappear behind the moon. The moon will carry on its way across the night sky and then at about 4.30, what you should see is the star appears to blink back in um, and that time it will appear on the dark limb. So when it disappears, it's going to be on the lit side of the moon, uh, which means that it does kind of blur out that, that sudden disappearance. But when it reappears, it's going to be on the dark limb. So it'll be suddenly from the darkness appears this bright point of light again. If you want to catch this event, do set up with plenty of time. You really want to make sure that you've looked up exactly when it's going to happen in your particular location, because it does vary a little bit. Make sure you're set up 20 minutes, half an hour beforehand, so everything's good to go when the event does roll around. And make sure you're looking towards it for about five minutes before you expect it to happen to make sure that you don't miss it. It is very much a blink and you'll miss it moment. So be sure that you are paying attention. Then moving on to the 11th of April, Mercury is going to reach its greatest eastern elongation when it has its furthest separation on the sky from the sun. And on the 11th of April, it will be 19.5 degrees away from our sun in the evening sky after sunset. 
Mercury itself is about plus 0.2 in magnitude at the moment. And it sets about two hours after sunset. So for Mercury, that's quite a long time that that's going to be up in the sky. Um, And with a separation of 19.5 degrees, when the sun goes down, it is going to be fairly high in the sky. So you've got lots of time to observe the planet, which you don't normally get. Because it is an inner planet, it tends to be quite close to the sun most of the time. And that means you don't get a lot of time when the sun isn't in the sky and Mercury is. But on the 11th of April, you'll have two hours to be able to get to see the pair. Mercury is getting dimmer at the moment um, and it will continue to get dimmer throughout the month. So if you do want to take a look at it, now is a very good time to be able to see that. If you're looking with a pair of binoculars, you might also be able to see the phases of Mercury. Um, The inner planets, both Venus and Mercury, they go through phases like the moon because we are seeing them at an angle to the sun. Whereas all the other planets, we tend to see fairly straight on because we're looking back at them rather than in at them. So that might be something to look out for if you are taking the time to look for Mercury on the 11th of April. Then on the 12th of April, lunar libration is going to bring the moon's northern limb better into view. So this region, particularly around the northern pole, has a big jumble of all sorts of craters. And when it's tipped towards you, that means that the lighting conditions are slightly different to what you would normally get. And also it just gives you a bit of a better view to be able to view this region. The moon is going to be about 61% gibbous on the 12th of April, um, meaning that the Terminator is going to be passing through that big craterous region. Um, And that means that there'll be lots of nice shadows. When you are looking for things on the surface of the moon, around the Terminator, when that's passing over, is usually a good time because you get uh, much longer shadows, much more contrast when you are looking at it from Earth. It's also a great opportunity to get started in some lunar photography if you've never done that, um, or even some sketching, lunar sketching of a nice cratery region up on the northern hemisphere. If you want to find out how to do either of those things, we of course, as always, have guides over on www.skyatnightmagazine.com and I will put a link to those below in the show notes as well. On the 14th of April, Mars is going to be sitting just 9.5 arc minutes away from the star Mebsuta, Epsilon Geminorum. Mars is about plus 1.2 in magnitude at the moment, so nice and easy to see that one. Mebsuta is a plus 3 magnitude star, um, and it's Epsilon Geminorum. It's in the constellation of Gemini. It's in fact the hips of the right-hand twin, Castor, uh, if you're trying to work out where it is. If you're trying to find Gemini at all, it's over the left shoulder of Orion, which is probably a better known constellation. Most people can recognise Orion in the sky. If you want to find Mebsuta, then you can do that by looking at Betelgeuse, which is Orion's left shoulder. It's a slightly red star. You should hopefully be able to see that coloration. And then if you also look for Rigel, which is the right foot of Orion. So you go from Rigel, the right foot, draw an imaginary line up to Betelgeuse, and then carry on that line about the same distance again, and you should find that it's pointing at the star Mebsuta. So that's how you can find that. Um, Should be pretty obvious on the 14th because it will be next to Mars. So if you see uh, what looks like a fairly bright, slightly reddish star in that region, that's Mars. 
uh, and the slightly dimmer object next to it is Meb Suter. Mars isn't going to set until around about 3am, so there's lots of time to be able to catch those two in the night sky. It's also a great opportunity if you're not very comfortable still finding your way around the night sky. You've got Mars helping you go from one constellation to another and then maybe look up some nice star hopping guides to try and help you find your way around the other constellations in the region as well. Again, we have all of those guides over on our website www.skyatnightmagazine.com. And finally, Ending the week on the 15th of April, we have a slightly unusual event that's going to be occurring because the 15th of April is the day that you want to align your sundials. So why specifically on the 15th of April? Well, it's because there are two kinds of time. Uh, the sun has been used for centuries, millennia even, to help people track time throughout the day. But when people started making clocks, they began to realise that actually sun time doesn't keep as clockwork as perhaps you think it might do. Doesn't isn't as clockwork as a clock. And that's because Earth orbits the sun not in a perfect circle, but in an ellipse. And that means the sun's motion appears to speed up and slow down as it moves across the sky throughout the year. So to measure time consistently, people introduced what was known as the mean sun, which is a kind of idealised version of where the sun should be if it moved at a constant rate. And throughout the year, the time difference between these two does drift quite a lot. The sun time can range from being about 14 minutes and 15 seconds ahead of clock time to being 16 minutes and 25 seconds behind. So that's a big difference, about half an hour difference over the course of the year. You can actually see this difference between the sun time and clock time if you go and record the position of the sun at the same time every day. For instance, if you took a photograph of where the sun is at midday in UT, obviously you don't want to get confused with daylight savings in there. But if you took a photograph of the sun at midday every day, you would see that it appears to move backwards and forwards across the sky throughout the year. It also goes up and down across the sky, but that is because of the tilt of the Earth. Earth is at 23.5 degrees to the sun, which is why we get a high sun in the summer and it's low on the sky in the winter and blinds you when you're driving. But the combination of this tilt and the drift between sun time and mean time means that if you traced out the sun every single day, you would see that it traces out a figure eight or a sort of bowling pin shape, some people call it. And that's what's known as an analemic curve. But there are four dates throughout the year where sun time and clock time match up. One of those is the 15th of April. The next is the 13th of June. There's another one on the 1st of September and the 25th of December. So if you did want a date to remember, an easy date to remember when you should be setting your sundials, um, Christmas Day. Probably not going to have the weather for it, but at least you'll remember it. And on those dates, your sundial should mark the correct time. So as long as you've got an accurate clock, you should be able to position your sundial so that the uh, shadow of the nomen, which is the part that sticks up and casts the shadow and tells you what time it is, um, is telling the right time. 
You can also give yourself a bit of a challenge if you fancy something that's going to last you throughout the entire year. So if you set up your sundial somewhere it's going to get nice sun throughout the year, or if you don't have a sundial, even a stick will do. And if you go out at the same time every day, again, always making sure that you're using the same time system, so always in UT, uh, if that's what you're going to be using. And if you do that and mark out the position of where the tip of the shadow is at that same time every day. Well, it doesn't need to be every day. You can have some gaps in between, but perhaps every time when it's nice and sunny. And what you should see if you do that over the course of the year is that those positions appear to trace out this analemic curve. So there is a nice challenge if anybody at home fancies trying that. And if you want more details on that, perhaps a few more diagrams, be sure to pick up the April issue of Skylight magazine, where we have that covered in our Sky Guide. So that's it for us this week. From the 10th to the 14th of April, Venus is going to be passing by the Pleiades and the Hyades. Then on the 10th, we have an occultation of the star Alnyat by the Moon. The 11th, Mercury reaches its greatest eastern elongation. 12th is a great chance for some lunar libration features. And the 14th, Mars and Mebsuta in Gemini are going to be coupling up. And then finally, on the 15th, remember to set your sundials. If you enjoyed all of that, please do subscribe to Star Diary to make sure that you never miss another one of your weekly updates on what's going on in the night sky. And we hope to see you all here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.